Choir's uh, being seated before we start. I noticed something this morning at 9.30, and I didn't say anything about it then, but I, had to, I feel like we learned some information today, Beth. I feel like we learned Clara and Tommy's last name. Did we? Maybe. Could be, could be mom's last name. Could be mom's side of the family. What was it? Wilbury. Wilbury. An interesting last name at that. Nice. All right. We're always fine. Somebody told me that uh, there was somebody who had kind of started working here who didn't really know Beth, and they asked if Beth has kids, and somebody said, no, she doesn't. And they were like, well, who's Clara and Tommy then? <laughs> so anyway, it's always fun when we get to know a little bit more about them as time goes on. All right. Um, I want to uh, I want to start this morning. I want you to listen to this prayer. Um, it's in John 17. This is a prayer that Jesus himself prays. It takes up the entire chapter. We're just going to read part of it today. But he prays this. This is after, so the Thursday night before he's arrested in the garden, right? So after he's washed his disciples' feet, after they've shared the meal together, but before they go to the garden, where of course we know there he does pray again throughout the night and then before he's betrayed and arrested. Between the supper and the washing and before they go to the garden, John puts this prayer right between those two moments in chapter 17. And I want you to listen to it. It's actually interesting to listen to Jesus pray because we have to think about the pronouns for a second, right? So remember, when I, when I read I, that's Jesus talking about himself. When I read you, that's Jesus talking to the Father. And when I read they or them, that's Jesus talking about what will be all y'all, right? So listen to uh, this prayer that Jesus prayed. He said, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. My prayer in verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And then verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So did you hear that? Up until now, when Jesus is praying for them, who is he praying for? Like his disciples, now who is he praying for? Us. For those who come to know the truth through the message of those disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. 
This is the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. It's so interesting that in your word, Lord, that we get your prayer. <laughs> that in God's word, we get the prayer of the Son. And, and it's fascinating to think that knowing what he was about to face, knowing the suffering, knowing, knowing the choice to go to the cross, to pay the price that we can't pay, that this time was set aside that he would pray for one thing, that his people would be one, that his church would be unified. So Father, as we reflect on this, as we hear the gospel proclaimed, as we think about what it means to be the church, we pray as always that you'd open our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, that we could receive new and sometimes challenging things from you. And as always, we pray that they, it wouldn't just be information that we go home and think about, that this is like food that nourishes us, but it also changes us at a cellular, cellular level. That your word changes who and what we are. And we pray that your spirit would do that work in us today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. So in verse 22, he says, that they may be one as we are one. And I love the visual of this, think like I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. I'm telling you our unity is our witness. Our unity or our lack thereof. That is our witness. And our ability to overcome the walls and the divisions that the differences among us often create our ability to overcome those divisions and be unified is an invitation for all people to come and see that the Lord is good, that Jesus is the one who breaks down all barriers. He breaks down all dividing walls that we build to separate ourselves from one another. Now look, the elephant in the room when this passage is read, and I'm just gonna mention it quickly, but it's denominationalism, right? If Jesus wants his church to be united, why are there so many denominations? Anybody have any idea how many Protestant denominations there are in the world? 40,000, roughly. <laughs> I don't think that's what he had in mind. So it's a fair question, but how will we ever unite across denominations if we can't even find unity within the local church? So that's the work we need to do. That's the right place for us to start. And this is truly at the heart of our session's vision for the next five years of our church, that we would be brought to complete unity. And I have to tell you, one of the reasons that I'm convinced that this is where the Holy Spirit is leading us is because this work had already begun before I arrived in April of 2019, or before I came back in April of 2019. For those of you that might not know, I served here in a number of different roles uh, before I left in 2012 uh, to take my first pastoral call in Amarillo, Texas. And I am telling you, the church I left then, so this church, the church I left in 2012 was a deeply divided church. And for those of you who were here at the time, you know that. You know this church had deep and painful divisions some of them were truly dividing walls of hostility. 
That's what I left. What I returned to was something wildly different. Like some of those divisions are still present and apparent, but that hostility is gone. And I could feel that when I met with the pastor nominating team that interviewed me. I could feel it when we were here that Sunday that you voted to accept me as your next lead pastor. And since then, we've just continued to build and move forward toward more unity. We established our purpose and mission. We agreed on a set of values that serve as guardrails to make sure that we stay focused, that we head in the right direction. That we believe that God is calling us to be a church that loves God and neighbor. A church of disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. A church that's becoming biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission focused, and gospel fluent. And now, in light of all of that, over the next five years, God is calling us to be a church that is growing together. And in order to grow together, that hostility, praise God, that hostility is gone. But there are certain dividing walls that need to be torn down. We've been saying this for the past couple weeks. Two weeks ago, I told you, one of those dividing walls is generational. And I've said this each week, and I'll say it again today. It would be beyond strange in any home if grandparents and grandkids never spoke, never engaged, never played together, never laughed together. I don't know about you. Maybe you have this memory. Well, you're on the other side of it now, some of you. When, I, when we go to a family gathering, where do the grandkids run immediately? To the grandparents. And then the next five hours, it's like we don't even exist which to be honest, isn't always the worst thing in the world. We can use a break. (laughs) It would be unacceptable in any home for grandparents and grandkids not to engage. And if it's unacceptable in our families, why would it be acceptable in the church? So we need to tear down that wall so that we can build the church of the future together, young and old and everything in between. And there are programs that we can create and there are ways that we can lead the programs we already have that will truly help to build roadways and bridges between generation to generation. And over the next year, we'll build those strategies. We're gonna encourage everyone to participate in the spirit of unity when those programs and initiatives are rolled out. That's one dividing wall, but it's not the only one. Another dividing wall that needs to come down, or actually it's it's other dividing walls that need to come down, are the walls that each of us build around ourselves. And we build these walls to protect us from the world outside, but the reality is we, we build them to protect us from one another. We build walls around ourselves to protect ourselves from being more fully known by one another. Because maybe we're afraid that if you know me completely, maybe I'm afraid of that. We build these walls and we think they are for our good. But I am telling you, they do nothing but reinforce the loneliness and the alienation that we already experience out there. Why would we come here just to feel lonely again? So this means that we need to be a place where deep relationships are forming. And I believe that those deep relationships have three particular characteristics. And I shared these last week. I'm gonna continue and go a little deeper. Um, And like I said uh, last week, these come from a series of teachings by the late Tim Keller. 
Um, He argues that relationships in the church, they must deepen to three points. First, to the point of personal accountability. Second, to the point of whole life hospitality. And third, to the point of what he calls corporate spirituality. So the first one is that relationships in the church must deepen to the point of personal accountability. And I already lost some of you with that second word, (laughs) accountability. And I get it. Um, Some churches, and I totally understand why, but some churches are very specific about this. They establish accountability partners for their congregation. Sometimes it's assigned. Three or four people who meet regularly, they share the deep stuff. Some of you have had experience with this. I've heard beautiful stories and I've heard terrifying stories. That's why if we're gonna do this, we need to do it right. I said this last week, but these kind of relationships, it's not just having people in your life that you can call late at night when you have some physical or practical need. These are the people that you call in the middle of the night when you're really wrestling spiritually, emotionally. When you're maybe wrestling with sin and you think you're about to lose. A small group of people in your life that know your faults, they know your failures, they know the things that you have yet to claim victory over through the power of the Holy Spirit. Honestly, this isn't about accountability at all. That's not the right word. What I'm describing, this is just what it means to disciple one another. Scripture calls this iron sharpening iron. So I I have nothing against the churches that establish this kind of a program. It can be be helpful. The, The problem is I don't think these kind of relationships, I don't think they can be programmed. They can't be forced. They can't be assigned. A relationship like this has to be the natural result of two or more people who first are fully submitted to the lordship of Jesus in every part of their lives. Two or more people who have come to terms with the fact that they're broken, just like everyone else. Two or more people who are willing to come to terms with the fact that even though they're broken, they are still loved. That the Holy Spirit is living in and moving through them to make them whole again. Y'all, this is a lost and lonely world. The church cannot be a place where people feel lost and alone just like they do out there. The church must be a place where deep experience of relationship is shared, where we experience deeper and more intimate and more honest relationships with Christ, first and foremost, but also with one another. Because the church is the place where people who are lost realize that they have been found, where they belong. So our relationships should deepen to the point of personal accountability. But they should also draw out from us what Keller calls whole life hospitality. Because if personal discipleship or personal accountability, if that happens with three or four people, whole life hospitality, that's where the circle begins to widen. And this isn't just about sharing your space or sharing your stuff. It's about sharing yourself. Now, hospitality is very important at First Press. We've worked hard on this ever since um, we arrived a few years ago. And I've said this before, and I think that y'all think I'm joking when I say it. But I'm telling you that serving donuts and coffee before and after worship, it's one of the most transformative things this church has ever done. And I'm serious. 
Because I'm telling you, the mood out there, the mood out there impacts the way people come in here. If you walk in the door feeling like you already belong, then when you walk in here, this might be a strange place to be, but you no longer feel like a stranger. So that is good, and that must continue. But we need to provide opportunities for the conversations and the relationships that are being developed. We need to provide space and opportunity for those relationships to draw in a deep breath so that they can get ready to dive a little deeper. And if we're gonna do that, then each of us needs to be able and willing. We need to know and be able and willing to tell our own story. The story of who we were before Jesus' saving grace became real in our lives. The honest and true story of who we are today. And the story of hope that we come here to celebrate and remember of who we are going to be as God's continuing grace works itself in our lives. Not just who we are by the world's measures, right? Not conversations that are only focused on what I do or what I think or who I vote for. I'm talking about who we are. The story of who we are in light of Jesus' saving grace. And here's the beautiful thing. Every story is unique. The story of who Christ is and what he has done, that story is the same and it will never change. But the ways in which that story transforms lives, it's unique to each person who is called to trust in him. We have unity in Christ. Even though the way we got here, those stories are wildly diverse. This community and this church in many ways, I think everybody knows, it's not very racially diverse. That's just the nature of where this church happens to be. But this church is very diverse because we all come from different walks of life. We all have different stories. We are generationally diverse. That means that we are wildly culturally diverse. I told the 930 service, and some of you, if you're in a class, you heard me tell this. I'll try to tell it really quickly. But for my doctoral research, I've been doing these focus groups over the past month. And I did them by generation because I'm just researching how certain things are impacted and experienced by different generations. So when I did the focus group with Generation Z, so ages 27 and younger, (laughs) the first question I asked them, just as an icebreaker, I said, if you could spend one day at work with any fictional character, who would it be? And they all sat there and they thought for a second. And I knew one of the kids and I knew that the person he wanted to say was like a bad person, like a bad guy. So I wanted to give him permission to give an honest answer. So I I went first. I said, listen, I thought about this question for me. Obviously the first thing, if I could spend the day with any fictional character, who would it be? Luke Skywalker, spend the day with a Jedi, right? But I thought about it and I was like, wait a second. It's just one day. And if it's just one day, Maybe that's an opportunity to spend the day with a baddie, right? Spend the day with a bad guy. Now you're chuckling, but not for the same reason the kids in the room did. They all kind of stared at me a little weird. And I was like, what? We'll spend the day with a bad guy, with a baddie. And then they just busted out laughing. And one of the guys next to me, he tapped me on the shoulder. He gave me like a knowing, loving, comforting pat on the back. And he said, bro, you have no idea what you're saying. (laughs) And I said, well, what did I say? He said, what you just said to us is, you would spend the day with a hot girl. (laughs) 
because that's what a baddie is. A baddie is a hot girl, not a bad guy. I am telling you, I don't care how much the same you might think we all are in this community, we can't even have a conversation (laughs) without saying something that is either wildly offensive or makes us look really dumb. We are very different. We are moved by different styles of music. We use language differently, but we are still called to be united. And I'm telling you, this is what's beautiful about the church. This is what makes us different. It's what makes Jesus's body unique of all the other gatherings of humans in the world throughout history. We are a people, and this is a movement that is centered not on our preferences, not on our wants, not on the things that we like, not even on the way that we speak. We are a movement that is centered on a person. And that is how we can be united while remaining and celebrating diversity and difference. Listen to how one author says it. He says, apart from the significance of Jesus's death and resurrection, the church has no reason to exist. That is a very important sentence. Apart from the significance of his death and resurrection, the church has no reason to exist. The church is a community and has traditions and rituals, but is not about any of these things. The church is about Jesus Christ and the other pieces of the picture exist to put Christ on display. He is our peace, the one in whom we are united, the one who gives access to God. He is the cornerstone on whom the building is grown and he is the capstone that holds us all in place. Our relationship should grow to the point of personal accountability, whole life hospitality, and that leads to the third mark of the church that is truly growing together and it's when our relationships grow to the point of corporate spirituality. And this of course speaks to the truth that the church is a worshiping body, that when we gather we are stones pressed upon one another We read that last week in Ephesians 2 and 1 Peter 2. When we have that kind of unity, we truly become the dwelling place of God. It is not enough just to have small, intimate relationships. It is important to gather together with the body of Christ to worship and glorify God. But there's an even more practical truth to this, a relational truth that I think is worth considering. And some of you have this experience. Some of you, you don't just have a best friend you have a group of best friends, like a group of three or four, then none of you are any more friends with the other than when you're all together. It's like, it's just not the friends if someone is missing. Do you know what I mean? C.S. Lewis talked about this in two of his books. Um, In his book, The Four Loves, and then he talked about it in A Grief Observed. Now, Lewis, many of you know, he had two dear friends, It was like a true best friend trinity between Lewis, who they called Jack, and then Ronald, who you know likely as J.R.R. Tolkien, and then a man named Charles Williams. And Lewis wrote about these relationships often, but once he wrote about the unexpected death of Charles. And he wrote because it had a really surprising effect on his relationship with Ronald, on the two that were left behind. He said this, he said, in each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. 
I've had the privilege of being a witness to this kind of love and friendship over the past 30 years. Uh, My wife, Jennifer, she met her Jack, Ronald, and Charles her first semester at college. Of course, those weren't their names. Um, It was Jennifer, Kelly, Heather, and Angie, which are probably like the four most common names given to a girl if she was born in 1975. (laughs) They had a larger group of friends, and there were two other Jennifers and two other Heathers. But anyway, the four of them, they walked the aisles together in each of their weddings. They were there at the bedside for the births of eight babies. They were there together for the death of one of the husbands. The highest highs and the lowest lows that this life has to offer, but there was something even deeper still. There is something deeper still. There's something unique about the relationship shared between the four of them. I've been there when they're all together and I've been there when someone's missing. Like they love one another deeply and they would never miss the opportunity to be together even if someone had to miss, but it's just not the same. Like the laughter is different. If two or three of them together, like you can tell they share a deep love and joy for one another individually. But when the four of them are together, if you have the privilege of being anywhere near it, I'm telling you, you experience that love and joy for yourself. Like it is infectious. I'm convinced when that kind of relationship is rooted in the work and person of Jesus, when Jesus is the tie that binds groups like that together, it's not just the love and joy shared among people that we experience, it is the very love and joy of Jesus himself. He said, I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so they may be brought to complete unity. I am convinced that I can't fully know the risen Christ by myself. I can't fully know another person without others around to draw things out of them that I cannot. So how can I expect to fully know the savior of the universe all by myself? Like not only do I need the witness of the scriptures, I need the power of the Holy Spirit, but I need you. I need the church. I need your relationship with Jesus to show me things about him that I don't see. I need your relationship with Jesus to reveal things about him that I don't know. Many of you have relationships like the ones that I'm describing, but I'm telling you it's not enough for some of the people in the church to be this relationally intertwined with Jesus and with others. These relationships should be the defining mark of Jesus's church. A people who are so connected to him and to one another that when one part of the body is missing, things just aren't the same. And they won't be the same until that body is made whole and restored when Christ returns and calls us home. I'm painting the big picture. This is what growing together looks like. Deep roots that will lead to new growth through the power of the Holy Spirit. Deep relationships that overcome generational divides. Deep relationships that invite each of us to tear down those walls that we build around ourselves to protect ourselves from one another. Deep relationships that serve to remind us, a constant reminder that we are known, that we are loved, that we are worth dying for. Those relationships will remind us that we are broken. But they will remind us that we are being renewed and we are being restored day by day. They'll remind us that we belong in a place with others who are known and loved and also broken. Deeper relationships that also serve a deeper purpose. 
My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. Who does that? Who is that? That's us now. Who else is that? It's the people who aren't here yet. The people who have not yet come to know who Christ is through the witness of his disciples. He prays for them too that they all may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And listen, may they also be in us. Why? Everybody say it. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. All of this so that the world may believe that this is true. I am telling you, you know the world outside has a problem with the church. They think we're a bunch of hypocrites. To some extent, they're not wrong. Because here's what they know. They know that we are broken, right? They know that. What they see is that sometimes when we get together, we act like we're not. What they see is that sometimes when we get together, we have no deeper conversations than they have at the country club or in the workplace or anywhere else. From their perspective, what's the point of being part of the church? I can do that anywhere. I'm telling you, their problem with the church is they know something's missing. Do we? Do we see what's missing? Do we see the depth of relationship that Christ is calling us to? And are we willing to be brave enough to take that next step? Like I said, our unity or our lack thereof, but I'll be positive, our unity is our witness. Our lack of uniformity, it's proof that heaven is gonna be a wildly diverse place that God is chasing after and restoring all kinds of people. Our lack of uniformity is proof that strangers and weirdos are welcome We let you in. (laughs) All of this so that the world may believe that it's true. So that those who are lost and wandering the world, looking for hope and love in places that will never satisfy, so they may come to see that by God's sovereign choice, that they may be known, loved, and worth dying for too. That they might find a place where they truly belong. And when they see his body unified, you know what they might see for the first time? they might see the very face of their savior. Let me end with this, I'm done. But um, one very practical quote, and then um, we're gonna spend a minute in silence before I pray. So let me read you this quote. Uh, This comes from a scholar named Klein Snodgrass. He says that as long as we remember that the church is the people, you know that, right? First Presbyterian Church of Kingwood is not at 5520 Kingwood Drive. That's where our building is. First Presbyterian Church of Kingwood is anywhere two or three are gathered in his name. So as long as we remember that, there are some implications. And he says, one is that the church is no longer seen as a program that some people put on for others to watch. The people are participants joining together to worship and have fellowship with God. The choir is not here to sing for you. The choir is here to draw out of you something that you might not be willing to offer on your own. To draw out of you a melody and harmonies and beautiful poetic language to tell God just how much you love him. 
to give you that language when you might not have that language for yourself. I am not here to read scripture for you. I am here to present it to you in a way to show you another angle so that you might find a fascination and a draw that I might show you something there that you don't find on your own so that you will go and dive even deeper. The second is that ministry is everyone's responsibility, not just the clergy, because the people are the temple in which God dwells. This is the big picture. This is the future that we see for First Pres Kingwood, and it's just over the horizon. We have work to do to get there. So the question is, what part are you gonna play? What will you give to be a part of a church like this? Now listen, those are the stewardship questions that I want us to reflect on as we sit in silence for a minute. But I'm not saying, what will you, I'm not just saying, what will you give financially? I'm saying, what will you give of yourself to be a part of a community like this? To be more deeply united with Christ and with one another? How much of your time, how much of your talent, how much of your treasure, how much of yourself are you ready and willing to give to the cause of Christ and his church? You may not be ready for those deep relationships like I talked about, that's okay. What's the next step in your journey on the way there? And are you willing to take that step? So let's take just a moment in silence. I'll close this in prayer. First Corinthians 12 tells us that we are one body made up of different parts. Father, as we grow in unity together, show each of us individually what that next part is for us. What is that next step? We will not get there tomorrow. But what is the next step that we can take today so that when we wake up tomorrow, we're walking the road that you've paved for us that we're walking in the direction you've laid out for us, that we're on our way toward wholeness, toward peace, and toward unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Show us the way, show us the step, and give us the courage to take that next brave step. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said.